Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, Bo Martonic here. Welcome back for uh, another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. Uh, on today's episode, we will have Jameson Curtis and Kelly McGraw of Wild at Heart Outdoors. And as all you whitetail hunters know right now, it is sweet November. And it's the, the best time of the year to be hunting whitetails, or at least the, the most exciting time, that's for sure. It's been uh, it's been a pretty good pretty good season so far here um from the aspect of got i've gotten to get out quite a bit and and uh just kind of get some tree time and especially over the last week here but as far as from an action standpoint it's been relatively slow in uh, the pennsylvania big woods here so the the weather hasn't really been extremely great for us we've had some warmer temperatures and a, a lot of rain um, just downpours a few of the days and it's really hindered the daylight activity of the bucks it seems like so as I'm, I'm recording this right now it's November 2nd I still do have the rest of today to hunt I came back at lunch to record this and then I have half a day tomorrow before I ship off to Alberta but I'm really excited about uh, tomorrow's morning. Tomorrow morning's hunt with uh, the temperatures dropping significantly, uh, with a high in like the 40s, and should be around freezing tomorrow morning, which is excellent for hopefully getting these bucks on their feet. So it's like I said, it's been it's been really slow. I've been seeing some does, and that they don't seem to be bothered or haven't had any bucks coming to check them out. Besides uh, this morning, actually. I was sitting in a, an apple tree set up. There's like a, a valley that runs down into the bottom with, um, I don't know, maybe eight or nine apple trees there, but only one of them has a lot of apples left. It's kind of like a, a winter apple tree and these does bed right on the outside of it. So I decided to go back in as my cameras last year showed November 2nd, had some big ones moving in daylight, coming in, checking, checking out these does. So I went in there to sit, and as soon as it got light, there was already a couple doe out in front of me. And it's really tough to hear because it's my blind's literally right on the edge of the the creek or the creek that runs down through. And I have to normally I would just step up from the creek into the back of the blind to reduce scent, but with all the rain we've had, I can't even walk in the the creek there with with regular rubber boots, leather boots, anything. So. But anyways, the the two doe that popped up there this morning, uh, normally there's three of them that were bedding in there, and it seemed like the two younger ones were left. And I, I couldn't hear real well with, with the crick there, but I started hearing a noise and realized that they were bleeding. And at least one of the does were, or was bleeding. And so I was hoping, I'm like, oh, that should, you know, bring something in. But something was kind of off with the... Uh, mother being missing of these two younger does and um and then a little bit later probably about uh 30 minutes after the does just kind of wandered off had a small eight point come in and i ended up bleating him in right to the blind about 10 yards away maybe even closer but and he just kind of wandered off down the trail 
but he was kind of on a mission seeking a little bit. So that was good to see some action, even if it was a smaller buck moving. Uh, I got out here and again, I had to, I was planning on an all day sit, but realize I'm running really low on time to prepare here for Alberta. So decided to come back in and uh, get this podcast finished up here. And I pulled my camera card that's on a scrape on the outside of this orchard. Had a real nice 10 point there this morning at four in the morning cruising through. So maybe he scooped up that doe, the mother, um, sometime this morning and chasing her around. But uh, so, so I'm really hoping that things pick up. I'm planning on heading back into that orchard this evening. And maybe that, that 10 point will come back through down the valley. If not, some of the other bucks that that'll come through. And the one thing with uh, the big woods hunting, you just never know what's going to come by. So, for example, on Tuesday morning, I hunted a stand that I, as I was walking in, I could see with my headlamp that all the scrapes were just completely tore up going in. And this is another creek bottom spot that uh, kind of funnels down a valley with two major thickets on each side, old clear cuts. And I uh, pulled the camera card as I was heading into the stand there and checked it while I was sitting up in the tree and had a real nice probably a four-year-old 10 point maybe three-year-old that was uh there just two hours before i got into the stand and i'm like oh and i've had the same thought maybe he'll come back through but uh then i at night i get out and i get on facebook and a guy ended up killing it probably about four miles away from me so that was pretty crazy to act you know show how much these bucks can move in 14 hours it traveled all that distance by just running, you know, a, a creek drainage system. And that's what happens here. So you just never know what can come by your stand. And that's that's a pretty exciting uh, component of it. For tomorrow morning setup, I, uh, I'm going back into this uh, newer clear cut on the edge of it. I had found a big scrape last spring when I was shed hunting there. And just threw a camera up on there three weeks ago and hadn't been back in since. And when it was pouring down rain yesterday morning, instead of going to sit in the tree right away, I decided to go check out the spot for a hot sign and went in, checked the camera and had some really, really good bucks starting to show up. And just in the last few days, one was right at last light and got me real excited. And for, I always bring my, my hang on, my hang on and sticks with me on my back when I go in to check things like that to set up. And I didn't, I forgot it at the truck and well, more or less, I was lazy to carry it in and got up there to saw these bucks. I'm like, well, shit, now I got to go back down to the truck, get this and come back up. This is up on a, a ridge top kind of. And when I went back down, got the stand, came back up over the hill and right underneath that scrape that I had just freshened up, there's three or four does standing there looking at me. And then they just kind of scurried off. It didn't blow or anything because the wind was in my favor, so that was good. And I was kind of discouraged about it, but I set up anyways right there about 30, I was 38 yards from the scrape. And right on the edge of the hill. So I never want to set up like in the middle of these clear cuts, usually um, want to set up on the edge of it so that then my wind can blow down kind of over the hill behind me or depending on how the thermals are they'll go straight up but anyways I, I sat up there and by the time I had my stand up and just hung my bow up the does came back in and I was right in the middle of their bedding area I mean they hung out there all afternoon um 11 a.m I saw them I saw them again at 1 a, 1 p.m 
and I was just ready for one of them bucks to come check it out and they ended up never nothing ever came through besides a spike came through cruising which i couldn't even have shot him if i wanted to um right before dark but with saturday coming up here tomorrow the everything looks good with the weather drop temperature hopefully get some of these big guys on their feet and like i said i mean there's there's some really really good deer that have showed up out of nowhere so i'm, I'm excited to see you know what uh how that plays out but i've got limited time i can only hunt to till maybe noon at most before i have to come back wash all my clothes pack up my bags drive to pittsburgh um, for a hotel room and then i fly out super early in the morning on on sunday so that'll be interesting but i'm really excited to head up to alberta and get that kind of going here um it's kind of disappointing to leave pennsylvania at the time that it is i mean hopefully um even after this releases that I would have had one already, but, uh, you never know what's going to happen. But after I come back from Alberta, I will have the last day of the season, Monday, November 12th to hunt if I do not fill my tag before then. So that's good at least. But other than that, that's uh, kind of the update we have going on here. I, th I think you really learn a lot from this conversation with Jameson and Kelly um, with hunting big woods, um, mountain bucks. So check it out. Let me know what you think, and we'll go from there. Thanks. <laughs> We're back for the second part of the, the episode here with the Wild at Heart gang. So back here with Jameson and Kelly. And if you haven't listened to the first part of this episode, I'd recommend it to get the full background on these two. I really don't want to hear them talk about themselves no, any longer, so we're not gonna either. we're not gonna get back into their background here. But the first episode was all about the the western hunting and kind of, and then also wild at heart as a whole. But uh, we grew up in Pennsylvania. We grew up in the Appalachian region of Pennsylvania, and we're gonna talk about whitetails. Let's do it. Let's do it. Amen. So, all right, I don't know who wants to start here, but kind of, but the thing I want to start off with here is we grew up in similar areas here in Pennsylvania. We're only about an hour apart from each other in the Appalachian region, which is a lot different than your typical whitetail country and kind of dive into why you guys decide to hunt here when you can hunt other states or farm country or anything else uh kind of dive into that a little bit um want me to start it off yeah, do it. well we kind of both grew up kind of hunting farm-ish country yeah. food plots and and just little fields and small plots of woods well yours is a little bigger your grandpa's farm but but uh, i stayed right on his farm you know? yeah i wasn't yeah, you pretty much call that a small plot. Of yeah, woods. yeah. <clears throat> well, then we started hunting the West and uh, kind of learned of remote hunting and like hunting the mountains in the West. And I kind of came home and thought that was so cool. Like, why can't I kind of get a glimpse of that here in Pennsylvania? So I pretty much went on Google Earth and looked at Tapos and I found the most rugged country in our area within like probably an hour drive from my house, uh, that I could find. And I went in on a wave runner 
the first time I ever went in and started hunting this super rugged country. And that's when I, I actually shot a probably 150 inch buck. I never found it. I hit him bad and it was total luck that I did. It was the very first day I ever went in there and hunted. I, I hit a monster. And from that day on that same year, I had two mature buck at 45 yards, never shot at him cause I didn't want to wound another deer. Um, I, so after that year, I was completely hooked on, on hunting, you know, remote and hunting and it, not just about remote now, but at the time it was get in deep with pressures less. Maybe the eight, you might get a higher age class deer. And, uh, ever since then I was kind of like, I kicked the, uh, farm country to the curb and started pursuing big woods mature bucks and that's kind of what led us to where we hunt now and why we hunt Mm -hmm. what about you kelly was it kind of a similar story or yeah i'd say our i mean our stories are about the same because it was kind of it was the year after i mean yeah yeah, the year after i kind of joined you um that was a pursuing the allegheny film yep Oh, that was the first year you guys... That was the first year was when I shot that big buck. And then the next year was the Pursuing the Allegheny yeah. film we made that Kelly and I hunted together in the Big Woods. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean... Uh, what, guess, like, what, what, draw, what draws you to, to going? To, is it similar as far as like the adventure aspect? Yeah, I think it was it, it, when I first started. It was the adventure aspect. Um it was doing something different than what like the hunting TV shows did or, you know, um, it was, I mean, now I look at it like, why would I go hunt anywhere else? Because what I have right here, you know, literally out my back door, um, there's no deer here, but no, 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 (laughs) there are woods, there's big woods. Yeah. Um, what was your address again? <laughs> <laughs> I think a big part of it was like if you watch the hunting channel, like you're watching like Lee and Tiffany and yeah. the Drury guys and it's not relatable. It's not relatable, especially to Pennsylvania hunters. You know what I mean? Where they're they're passing up a hundred and sixty inch deer. And that was a lot of the feedback we got from the pursuing the Allegheny film was that it was cool to see a hunting film that showed the experience of the hunt and it wasn't just about killing a buck with a ton of inches. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think that's what we took out of it was that, yeah, we might not be out there shooting giants. Yeah. All three of the buck we killed in the pursuit of the game film was they were, they were 125 inch deer. Mm-hmm. But the reason why we were so pumped about it was because we had such a good time and a fun experience killing them that's what made up for them not being giants. Yeah. And I think in that starting off, that's kind of what hooked us is, is like we, we made, we, we emphasized less about the size of the buck and emphasized more about the experience that we had doing it and killing them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was what hooked us at first. Okay. And with the, the pursuing the Allegheny film, you guys had actually used a boat to 
to cross, you know, a lake basically and go into some of these remote locations. And you touched on a little bit before. You're like, yeah, we probably could have hiked into these spots just as easily or maybe easier with, uh, you know, less time. No, we could because I killed a buck last year by doing that. (laughs) I did. It was better. It was a better area. You just had to hike in from the road and you could access the bedding a little quicker than coming in by boat. I, I did that last year. I hiked in and shot a buck good 130 inch eight there last year so (laughs) but like so you used a boat which is not something people typically use you know whitetail hunting again you don't see lee and tiffany taking a boat out to their their cornfields you know (laughs) yeah to to hunt and then in addition to that you were camping you say you camped out on the mountain for did you stay for a whole week then was that uh we would do like long weekend trips is what we would typically do three three days or so okay and so you're taking all this aspect of just different things pulling some things from the west taking some just off the wall things using boats and everything and applying them all to whitetail hunting and i don't know to me that makes it fun doing these different things that are again challenging i mean it's not extremely comfortable sleeping in you know 20 degree weather at night or anything else but it just adds to that whole you know again adventure aspect and and i I don't want to bring anybody to pennsylvania because there's not any deer or anything but there's uh there's some mature deer to be found in the pennsylvania big yeah yeah. and it's getting better every year better yeah yeah and i think uh you know just to add like one thing that drew us to it especially that year and we've changed our style since then a little bit as far as our hunting style goes um it was just like so far like we all right so you go camping and you stay out there you're making campfires and stuff like you're not spraying down with scent killer and wearing scent lock and putting your ozonics up like you're supposed to do to kill big bucks you know (laughs) like you stink yeah but you know it's it was just like you threw all we threw all the cliche like yeah cliche. I think we're the, just tired of it. Yeah, we're tired of like you have to do this if you want to kill a big yeah, buck. food plots, uh, scent killer spray, and all the gimmicks on the commercials on hunting channel. I love it. It was yeah. <laughs> I, 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 that's what I I, I love like you guys talk about this. But don't tell me you use the Nutcracker call. Yeah, you ever see that? <laughs> yeah, I have the acorn cruncher. <laughs> yeah, the acorn cruncher. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cracks me up so much like uh, uh here's a little tangent we're going on but i don't care it's <laughs> we i i see it all the time people are like oh you don't do what do you do for like you know scent control and stuff yeah i tried it i wash my clothes scent free clothes and you know i try to do the best i can but i wear my hunting clothes in my truck when i'm driving to yeah the spot. i'm you know doing this I'm i don't even shower to- anymore no i, I don't, don't either shower. i mean yeah. i leave work and i you know throw on my clothes in the locker room at work yeah. and hop in the truck. I mean, and especially like when you're hunting mountainous stuff, you don't have an easy walk to your stand Sweat and, your butt. and we're carrying our stands on our backs. Like you're sweating the whole, so all that goes right out the window as soon as your foot starts moving up the mountain. Yeah. Like, so why even worry about it? Yeah. Just, <clears> just, just learn know, how to know how the wind blows. Yeah. Know how the wind blows because yeah, I mean, if the deer catches your wind, like it's over. I don't care if you have scent killer or ozonics or whatever the heck 
yeah. else they tell you to use. Yeah. Isn't that, it's, it's just, it's so funny. Like, you, you, again, understanding the wind, understanding the thermals, understanding the wind tunnels and everything else that, that we'll dive into here. But yeah. there's other ways of, you know, being, I guess you could call it a woodsman versus trying to cover it up with all these gimmick products that you're seeing on TV and that you're seeing the, you know, the quote unquote celebrity hunters using yeah. to, to promote it. And that's what, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the hunting public. Yeah. Those yeah, guys. Yeah. I love watching. Yeah. Them, the, it's fun. So untraditional with everything. Like, yeah. And it, it's cool to kind of see other people doing those methods and being successful with it, showing that yeah. you don't need to follow, you know, the, the yellow brick road, I guess, of, yeah. of the whitetail world and going through that. So when, uh, with this, this, uh, you know, big woods format, and I've talked about it on here from my personal experience, but what are you guys kind of looking for in these just giant, you know, thousands of acres of unbroken timber and what are you doing to go in and pick a spot? Or I guess maybe should you start off with your new style of hunting? Yeah, Would that kind of be a better. Well, I mean, we could touch on what we used to do just real quick. We we used to find rubs. Yeah, like we would go into an area and pick it apart, and we would find rub lines, and we would pick the rub lines apart, and we pretty much would try to find bedding in relation to what. And when I'm talking rub line, I'm not talking like four inch diameter trees. I'm talking like. 10 inch we used to find rub lines with consistent like 10 inch diameter trees and we found them a lot yeah and we it seemed like every block of woods we'd go in we could find at least one giant rub line and we used to try to pick apart bedding and feeding by the rub line and that's kind of how we thought maybe we were hunting mature deer and it never really panned out for us i mean i would say if we would have spent more time in those areas maybe we could have been successful but we would we it was just too far from home to hunt it you know, often to be able to be on those deer because you can't just probably sit them one time and and expect to kill them. But but then from there, it moved into uh, all about bedding, just knowing how big bucks or just deer in general as a species like to bed. Yeah. I mean, it's like the one consistent, it's like the consistent thing. So... If you don't, you know, I look back at any buck I've ever killed or all my hunts previous to us starting this new hunting style a couple of years ago, like any buck I killed was luck, but I can look back at those bucks that I killed and put two and two together of why I killed them. Like without knowing where deer bed, you don't know how to access your stands. Uh, you don't know what winds you should be hunting it on. There's like a preconceived thing of like, well, like I look at it now as like people say I need a north wind to hunt the stand. Chances are that's the safe wind for the hunter. Chances are that's not the wind that the deer are going to be there on. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It's the only, it's like good for that trail and that yeah, stand it's site. Like keeping the wind in your face where now, like when you're hunting bedding, you are like flirting with disaster with your winds. Like I think, and, and I just want to say like, we are not experts at this. Like, so don't, I don't want it to seem like I think I am, but I've done a lot of scouting. And I, when I say I, we have, we've done a lot of scouting 
and and two years, almost two years now of hunting this way, like you don't need to see it happen. I mean, when you see it, the same things time and time again, you're like, well, this, this makes sense. Yeah. This, I just need to get better at setups is what you tell yourself. Like the setup is the tough part. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so w- with this betting, where are you looking for the, the, the bucks to bet? Is there like a typical terrain feature that you're looking for on the maps ahead of time? Or what, what are you kind of looking for, for, for buck beds in the mountains? Top upper end of the mountain, the, you know, the tops of the mountains. Uh, yeah, and those, uh, well, I mean, we'll just throw a name out there because yeah. these aren't our ideas, but obviously Dan Infault is is the king at this. Yeah. And, and it's where and we. Anything we've learned about buck betting has been because of Dan Infault. Yeah. But Dan Infault giving us the information that we need, and we took it out and we put. You know, we applied we, it. Yeah, we applied it, and and we and we made truth of it too, because we we'd go out in the winter time on certain wind directions and go find all the beds in the snow and say, why are these deer bedding here? What what wind direction? What's the wind doing? What what direction are they facing? Mm-hmm. And and then the next couple of days we get a different wind, and we go out in the same areas and find different. You remember we did that? Yeah. In, in the state park. Yeah. And on the next day, it was a different win, and all the bedding shifted to the other side of the ridge. So, huh. I mean, the, the the deer move, and especially, and and I'm not, I can't speak for clear cuts, and but in strictly in uh, mature timber, to- terrain, big terrain features, topographical, like where you have big mountains, and. Uh, those deer within those mountains move in relation to the wind direction. So, you know, they like the wind at their back and they like to bed at the military crest where they can see down the hill or, or put that steep in front of them and smell what's behind them. And it's almost like if you were a sniper, where would you set up? Yeah. If you were trying to survive, where would you, where would you live? If you had, if you could smell really well and, you know, like, you know, it's not too often you walk up on a mature buck in the woods like that you, you know, you bump does when you're walking through, busting through the woods. It's not too often that you're like crashing through the woods and, oh, there's a big buck jumped up out of his bed, you know? Yeah. It's because they either see, hear, or smell you before you're even close to them. Yeah. And they don't, they don't bust out like a doe. I think they just kind of crouch, tuck their tail and slip up, slip out. Yep, they have you know their exit routes coming out of their bed. They're yeah. they're they're safe exit routes and yeah. stuff. And the bucks use does too. I think we've kind yeah. of learned. Oh, we've definitely learned that. You know, the, the does are typically up above the bucks. That and then it seems like every every time they run, if you bump a, a small doe family, every time you run, will follow their tracks and they'll end up running past a buck bed. Yeah, like we've experienced that in the winter time, mm-hmm. huh. just looking at tracks that when the does jump. They run and then, then like a hundred yards down the down from them, you'll you'll find a buck bed with a huge track in it, and he had already been gone because those doe came running by him. Really? So it's almost like they use other deer as uh, almost like a you know security. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah, I think uh, you know, I was always told prior to this like big bucks don't live where the does live. And 
I don't believe that one bit anymore. I no. I don't. I, I just saw it the other two nights ago. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched six doe come off a betting point, and then tw- right after they come off, a mature buck came off a betting point. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that they always do the same thing the does do, but they're... I but mean, they, what you're saying is like, can it's not as cut and dry as what you normally read. Buck bedding, doe bedding, like a doe bedding area, buck bedding area, they can be somewhat conjoined. Yeah, is that what you're saying. I think so. Yeah, yeah, With, yeah, within a few couple hundred yards, I'd yeah. say. I mean, I don't think it's that cut and dry, but yeah, it's. I mean, every every piece of property yeah. is different, but yeah. I I feel like whenever there's a a big doe family, that somewhere nearby there's a buck. A mature buck bedding, especially this time of year, October. Yeah, uh, he's keeping tabs on a big doe yeah. family. Like there was probably eight doe where I hunted the other night, and that mature buck was probably only hundred, two hundred yards from where those mature doe were bedded, or those that doe family was bedded. And and he and it and we were and I was probably within two hundred yards of his bed, and he didn't get up out of his bed until twenty minutes before, uh, before dark. So he waited October 25th or 6th. He waited till almost dark to get out of his bed. So that's why bedding hunting is so important because unless you're within that little core area of his bed, there's a pretty good chance he you're not going to see him in daylight. Yeah. So And kind of like we had talked about earlier with you and well, all of us kind of were into the rut hunting because that's all we knew how to hunt. And I'm, I'm still, I mean, that's, that's kind of, you know, my bread and butter. I've killed every buck I've shot in Pennsylvania besides two of them in the rut, you know, and I'm trying to learn your guys style. I'm a little bit behind you as far as trying to get up to speed with it, but so that I can hunt the full season, you know, we get a month or so with, yeah. from, from what it sounds like with the style of hunting you guys are, you know, employing now, you're able to hunt in the middle of October. You're able to hunt you know, whatever conditions are right to move in on the bed or yeah, or however that yeah, works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in theory, I mean. Yeah, it, it doesn't it, always work out. Uh, it, it's it's definitely a learning curve. And like Kelly and I were talking earlier, we thought we had hit the jackpot. Like, yeah, yeah, we figured out, we cracked the code on white tail deer and we know where they bed and all this stuff. And we, we'd come in and hunt this bedding and, and then we wouldn't see a deer. And, you know, and it just took a long time to, to fine tune it. And we're still learning and we still, I mean, we don't have the greatest track record. You know, we've only ever, with this style of hunting, we've only ever killed a couple buck. Um, but each year we're learning more and we're getting closer. And I can tell every sit, every set that I, that I sit where I see a family, a, a, a family group of doe drop off a point and come right by me. I just, I just know I'm getting better every time. Yeah. So you're just you're in the you're in the you're in the go zone. You know, if you're in that little bedding air, that bedding core area, and you're watching deer get up out of their bed, stand up out of their bed, then you know you're in an area that that's gonna it's gonna provide a mature buck. Speaking of points, people ought to stop hanging ladder stands on points. <laughs> just, just throw that out there. If you're hanging a ladder stand on a point, you got to take that thing down. <laughs> yeah, that's all I want to say. <laughs> Why? That's where the that's where they bed. Yeah. Oh, I they're can't tell you right how many where they're supposed to bed. Rifle at. stands right on. You know, you look on a map. I'm gonna go check out this spot. There's gonna be a buck bed, and you get there, and there's a ten foot ladder stand with no cover. It's like, well, 
That was a wasted trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So you were talking about the Bucks betting on points. So are they like right at the edge of the point or are they off to the side or does that all depend on the wind? Yeah. I think they kind of like almost have like a, you know, a radius that they're kind of going around the point yeah. and, and betting yeah, on. Yeah, I would say. I wish everyone could see my great, you know, yeah, hand, hand motions. Here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, with especially with like uh, big spine ridge points, it sometimes it provides multiple wind beddings. Uh, say it's a point that runs uh, points to the east, and you get a lot of westerly winds here in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. um, and maybe you get a lot of, a lot of westerly winds anywhere. But with a westerly wind, that wind comes right to that point, and then <clears throat> so that buck could bend could bed right on the point, or on a southwest he could just shift a little bit on the other side of the point, or on a northwest he could just shift on the south end of that point and he could always have that wind true to his the back of his head and he could keep that point as his core area and not have to move you know a quarter mile or a few hundred yards just to find a different bed he could stay in that core area on multiple different winds and feel safe so so yeah within most of the time they just like to be at that military crest and have that wind at their back so if it, if that betting point offers betting for multiple wins i think they 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 like that better so, so when you say military crest kind of explain a little bit what that terrain feature looks like that they're they're betting on so a lot of times i think and and it varies on on the terrain but a lot of times if you're at the very top of the ridge and a lot of times the ridge kind of like makes us kind of roly poly down off the top and it comes downhill. And then, and then there's a point where that the contour lines on the map just start getting really tight, you know, that, or you're standing there on the hill and all of a sudden it just drops straight off to the bottom. Like at that point, those buck are going to be somewhere in that little, that 30 yards of that military crest. He might be just down off it. He might be laying right on it. He might have a little uh, treetop on his back, to his back, or some something there, to uh, break up, you know, something seeing him from from the top. Mm-hmm. But break up I is kind of outline. Yeah, and I think they like to know that nothing can see him from the top of the ridge. I'm sure they know that predators, their main predator, which is in Pennsylvania, especially, is the human, uh, the hunter. You know, is is the guy that walks the ridge top. You know, what hunter doesn't get up on a ridge and walk the ridge top to cover ground? It's easier walking. And, you know, so I think for one, they like to be in that little wind tunnel where the wind swirls and they can kind of smell what's above them or below them. And also they like to not be seen from the guy walking the ridge top. They like to be, get out of, get out of sight from that, but be able to smell that guy walking. Gotcha. <clears throat> okay. That's, that makes sense. Cause that's. And and do you find it in this kind of, you know, steep, I guess, hill mountainous country in the Appalachian region, is that typically where all the bucks are betting or do they, is there any kind of outliers? There's definitely outliers. I mean, there's, I think with hunting, there's, you should, shouldn't use the words always and never. Like, there's just, yeah. you know, you're always going to find things that might throw you off a little bit. Um, when you throw in clear cuts you're going to have bucks that bed on the edge of those clear cuts on like the leeward side. 
downwind side. Um, they may bed inside the cut if there's like a transition line or some standing timber that wasn't cut. Uh, you know, like you were talking earlier, you're finding them like in like big swampy, like beaver dam, you yeah, know, valleys, they're, yeah. they're probably bedding like on the downwind side of thickets or right. Yep. Yep. Exactly yeah. right. As it gets like thick down towards the bottom, they'll bet either on the bottom. It, usually it's on the bottom end of it actually. And, or it can be right on the top end of it all depends on kind of how, how the wind is working through the valleys and the steepness of the terrain that makes a huge play in it. And, and I, I wanted to clarify, I think this is a good point for last podcast that I was talking about the area I hunted. I was talking about me hunting Crick bottoms a lot. And I talk about hunting Crick bottoms. I love it, but that all comes down to the steepness of the terrain. You get somewhere we're at here and you get some really steep stuff in narrow valleys. That doesn't work as no. easily, you know, no. most of the time in that, Within the really rugged stuff, those crick bottoms aren't aren't even worth looking at. No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. And and that's something you I can't wanted to... most most of the time you can't even walk through them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you were to try to walk up the drainage, it's just so thick and so t- you know f- trees down or something. So that did, if you can't walk through them, the deer pretty much aren't using them. Yeah, no, they're that... crossing them, but not running along parallel with the creek. You know, like you're like you're hunting. Yeah. Yep. I gotcha. I think, uh, like, if you take a property that has multiple options, because some stuff is just big open timber, you know, big steep ridge lines, like, your bedding's going to be on those, on the points of those ridges. Where you can take, like, say you have some timber company property that may have that topography, but it also has cuts, maybe it has a big open bottom, like, I think you need to have like a checklist. Like it takes time. You can't go and do it in a day. You know, like, all right, today I'm going to go look at this section of southwest wind bedding, to like topo-wise. Go check out that stuff. Maybe the next time you go in, check out the clear-cut stuff. And like chances are you're going to find bedding in all of it, you know, which – I know isn't really helping things right now with me saying that. I mean, there's like, <laughs> no, no, but it, it you're, you're being truthful with it. You know what I mean? There's not like, you're not going to give us an answer right now. That's going to be like, all right, you do this. You're yeah. going to go out. You're going to find buck beds and you're hundred percent going to kill deer. Well, I think that's what we thought that's, when we first, yeah, exactly. like <laughs> we found out about, you know, Dan and fault. It's uh look at like the hunting beast dot com is is what it's called it's his website and i mean this guy has 50 years of experience of of hunting this way and he's killed tons of big bucks and we you know we heard a podcast or something about the way he does it and honestly it clicked with me because it's it may sound complicated but it's so simple in like the scientific manner of things like oh duh why wouldn't deer bed like this like you know there's no like there's not like a secret, you know, like a something that I don't know what I'm trying to say right now. It's just it's like scientifically it makes sense. Yeah, why they would do what what we're saying they do. Yep. yep. And uh, when we first found the beds, uh, we were like, like you said earlier, oh yeah, we're gonna be yeah. <laughs> we're gonna be stacking bucks up so, yeah. left and right. <laughs> <laughs> so when you find a, a bed that you determines a buck bed. 
Okay, say it's on this the military crest looking over the ridge. So what do you do from there? Like, what's your plan to set up and kill the specific deer that's using that bed? Well, I'll be honest with you. I'd say when we first started doing this, I would specifically pick out like one single bed, mm-hmm. and I would say this is a buck bed, and yeah. I'm gonna uh, and I and I pick and I go to the scrape nearby or i go to the rub line nearby or something and i try to pick a tree in relation to how i thought he was leaving his bed in relation to his rub and i think that's a pretty good tactic but i think i was ahead of the game i think if you're a dan infault if you have 50 years of experience you could do that but until that time and and you might have this picture perfect bed i think like that that buck we were hunting a couple years ago in the you know, that buck was probably one that you could, that we knew that he was bedding there and we might've been able to kill that buck yeah. with, with a handful of sits on, on him or just the right wind or whatever we needed. Where was that but spot again? You just, I'm not, I'm not going to say, cause it's, yeah, it's you, you out in the, you, st- yeah. you started yeah. to, and then, <laughs> yeah, it was in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Coordinates are, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just, but if, uh, you, if you wouldn't mind just sending an Onyx uh, yeah, you know, map just link. Share it on just this, uh, share it. Yeah. Share it on uh, Wild Hearts Instagram page yeah. if you would. <laughs> uh, so at, at first, I, I mean, I thought we were hunting like buck beds. Like we found big tracks in the snow kicking up a buck in the wintertime. And I, I think that might apply, you know, that, that, that comes into play and maybe it's worth hunting. But then from there, for me, and I don't know if you could say the same, Kelly, but from there it transitioned into just consistent bedding. Like you take this this picture-perfect southwest bedding point, and it's stacked up with like 10 beds. And, yeah, it might not be a buck bed, but it's it's good bedding. And that, like, you might hunt that in November, you know, because it, maybe it's just a big doe family that lives there. But you know it's a super consistent bedding, and I think a buck might use it at times, and and or bed within the area of that that doe family. But I, for, for me personally, until I get better at hunting specific buck beds, for now I'm hunting um, just consistent bedding areas. bedding areas. I should say, yeah, where you're hunting more of a a big doe family or a doe family of three. And then over here, you got another bedding point of a doe family of three and somewhere along the line in there, there's probably going to be a buck bed. But if you're in that little area of that bedding zone of those deer, um, that's, you'll, you're, there's a good chance you might see yeah. that buck that's hanging out or bedding I in think, that area uh, too. This upcoming scouting season, one thing like I want to do that I think will help is, you know, I've watched what we have a friend, uh, named Joe Ranke. Just watch what he's done. Like when he scouts, he like he hunts. Like in if it's March, you know, he sneaks his way in. I can't tell you how many times he sent me photos or videos like through his binos of a buck bedded. Like sneaks in, and the buck never knows he's there. And I think I was thinking like t- he killed a buck already this year, but. Um, I was just thinking back to like his first couple weeks where he was like, seemed like every night he was on a mature buck, like would see a buck or, you know, drew back on a buck. And I think that helps in a way. Like if you, like most of those deer, I feel like he, he had seen where they laid. Yeah. Like it was visual confirmation. You know what I mean? I think it probably helped him when he went in to, to pick his setup, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. I think it's one thing I want to try and do a little bit more. Like, but I do agree a hundred percent with what you're saying about bedding areas. Like, because a lot of times these points or you, you shouldn't even just say points. Like they'll bed just on steep leeward ridges on the leeward side of, you know, it can just be steep. Like, yeah. And, uh, they definitely move around a lot. Like it's, I think in hill country, you're not going to usually find like a big wore out, you know, right down to the dirt bed that a deer's in all the time. I think like you, you probably find that more in like swamps and, you know, things of that nature. But I think they just have a lot, they have a lot of options as far as, and it might only be 20 yards that they move, but that's why it's important, I think, to just look for bedding areas. Yeah. Don't focus so much on finding this wore out dirt patch. And that can, I think that can be good um, if if you want to try to kill buck in October. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think until I get better at actually knowing where and maybe even putting eyes on a buck, until I get better at that, um, I'm more or less going to hunt that consistent, yep. really consistent doe bedding or if a buck beds there too, just that, I mean, sometimes you just walk up on a bedding point and you say, this is a bedding point. Like you see fresh beds, there's hair in the ground, you know, and you just know that it's, it's one of those spots where a bunch of deer lay all the time, you know, on that wind direction. And until you get uh, uh, better at actually knowing where one specific buck is betting on a wind direction, you kind of just rely on the rut and hunting that doe yeah. bedding. Like yep. you kind of just say, well, until I get better at it, I'm just going to hunt this, this con- really consistent doe bedding in the rut. Mm-hmm. And then you know that, you know, there's a really good chance that a buck's going to come check on that doe bedding, you know, late morning or middle of the day or whatnot. And I mean, that, this com- I mean it, it's a big switch like um from your normal like your mindset re- what it's a redefining the like it's redefining yeah. the way you hunt whitetails really and it's not easy like um i know, like we're not hanging stands we hang them when we hunt them and then we pull them down when we leave um because we kind of realized like when you're pushing that close to bedding like you don't get a lot of chances. It's probably the first time you do it. So you kind of you kind of need a lot of spots because like your first set's your best set. It's all like the element of surprise. Yep. Um you know because if there is a buck bedding there and you go in, you hang a set and let's say he comes by, let's say he doesn't even wind you or anything and you think you slip out of there there's a very good chance somehow, some way he's going to know you were there after you left. And I bet you he doesn't do the same thing the next day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they don't get old for yeah. reason. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a big, that's a lot of work. I mean, that, I'll be honest, at the end of archery, I am, I mean, I am ready to be done hanging stands and lugging a tree yeah. stand around the woods. Like, it yeah. does. It's tough. Uh-huh. It's a grind. <laughs> yeah, and it, it takes a lot of practice as far as like becoming efficient with it. Everything yeah. with the way you guys are hunting is about efficiency. From what I'm seeing yeah, from the is. outside, and with me dabbling in a little bit, 
I learned you you need to be on point and have your shit together as far as like organize right, what you're doing going up and make you know no sound and everything else because what you're doing is high risk high reward type yeah sets and, oh yeah and it can be very easily um it can happen very easily where you mess it up oh i've things like blown that. up more hunts than i've <laughs> yeah. probably sat and like i've ruined more hunts before the hunt started yeah. since we started this style like especially last year i guess when i first started it it took me a while to realize that i wasn't scouting anymore that like to know when to stop like stop going any farther and hang your set it took me a a while to realize like there was the first few weeks last season it seemed like every other time i'd go out i'd bust up bucks or does out of their beds like and not to say that's always a bad thing but it's um, not ideal yeah but we've kind of learned too you can still sit, you can still yeah. hunt it. And if you're, you're going slow and they don't wind you, like so I'm looking at it now as like, it's almost a good thing when I bump a doe out of her bed. Like, all right, now I know that if there's deer bedded back this far off of all the really good bedding, that means they're probably stacked up out there. Mm-hmm. So you just let her go hang your set anyways in the two hours that goes by, like they forget about it. My my two best hunts last year, that same that thing happened. I mean, I was halfway up my tree, and a buck came to hit the scrape that I was next to. He spooked and blew, mm-hmm. and like three doe blew and ran out. And then right before dark, the big buck dropped off the point. Like I didn't I didn't get a shot at him, but I'm just saying like he was there. It didn't ruin yeah. the hunt, you know. And and I think that's that's something that I've learned over the last few years and really picked up on is bumping deer again is not ideal. No. But it's not a terrible thing to if you use the intel the way that you know, so like the first day of archery this year, I I still hunted it was kinda of wet that morning and everything. And I just walk slowly through and I do a lot of this too as the season goes on, is I'm almost Again, I don't want to say I'm trying to bump deer, but I want to see where the does are bedded at when it comes closer mm-hmm. to the rut. And, yeah. and again, this isn't in the same sort of country you're hunting. And even though we're, some of my spots are steep like that, the specific area I'm thinking of is a little bit gradual hills. I'm going through trying to locate these does. And by, and by doing that, I'd, I'd come into this, this valley that I had considered uh, a buck bedding area where I just there was a bunch of rubs and beds and everything else in there. And I had snuck in there the first day and ended up getting within like, it was 22 yards of this. It was a, like a two year old eight point. He popped up cause he saw me, but I was going so slow walking through there that he couldn't figure out, you know what I was. And I could have shot him. Like I just, he just, he went, he bumped out like five yards and just stopped and was kind of looking back and then just walked away with his tail. Like he's like, something's not right there. There was moving. But I can't tell exactly, you know, what he is. Yep. And 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 I guess what I was trying to get at with that story is when you do bump them, it's not ideal, but it's not the end of the world with it. You learn something and and sometimes setting up right then and there if it's a buck that you wanted to, to kill or like you said with the stages of the, the does being bedded, 
with, with your theory on the does betting a little bit higher sometimes in the bucks on yeah. the ridges. You know, it, may, it makes sense, I guess, from my standpoint. Yeah. I know I had a hunt this year already. This was like October 12th or something. We had an off wind like earlier in the week, so I went to check a spot. I found a bunch of like really hot big buck sign. Like he was there. So I decided I just kind of crept out, thought I was going to come back in that next weekend when the wind was right. I'm walking in there. I bumped nine doe. Like they were up off the ridge. Like I don't know what they were doing there at two thirty in the afternoon, but they blew. They took. It was like a freight train. <laughs> I was. I was. I was pretty down. You know, I was yeah. down. I was like, that was nine deer. I counted them. It's like <laughs> there's no way there's any more deer in here. But whatever. I'm here. I'm just gonna set up. So I just kept creeping along, set up, and I saw fourteen more doe that night after I bumped them out of there. Really. I, the buck never showed, but, you know, just because you spook deer doesn't mean you ruin it. Mm. Just to elaborate on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure with this style of hunting, because it is, you know, aggressive, that you do have that happen more times than, yeah. than you'd like, you know. But with, um, so is there like an ideal um, yardage you're trying to get from these beds or is that, I'm sure it all depends on, you know, how open the woods are or, or how the train looks, but I'd like you to kind of explain that a little bit. Like, how do you know if you're going too far or if you're not far enough? Um, I'd say <laughs> I always go back to that couple nights ago. That was a pretty good example. Um, there was a good, really good betting point. So I had kind of concluded that there was a buck using that bet that point and it was the the point offered it kind of split it offered a good southwest bedding and a northwest bedding and we had a northwest wind so i had never been in there before years and a couple years ago we were in there and found some big rubs so i kind of thought maybe it was a mature buck using it that year but this year i had never been in there and uh so i i snuck in kind of just above the elevation line that i thought maybe he was betting on and I just snuck in really quiet. I mean, I'm I'm sneaking in like I'm stalking in on a deer. Like that's how slow I'm going. Once I get within maybe a four or five hundred yards from that bed, and then the whole time I'm glassing, looking for rubs. It, this is for like a new area that you've never hunted. And so as I'm coming down, I'm looking for rubs. I start picking up rubs and good rubs, and and I feel like it's a mature buck making the rubs. So I I when when the sign starts getting pretty heavy you know it starts the rubs are getting closer together and the rubs are getting more frequent and stuff and and i feel like i'm i'm maybe within 150 yards of that bed i i, I don't really think i've pushed too much closer than 150 i mean maybe maybe a little closer maybe closer to 100 somewhere in there but uh you get any closer than that then you're risking bumping them when you're hanging yeah. your set i think yeah, but, I'm, I think for the most part, they're not going to move more than 100 yards, 100, you know, in the daylight. Yeah, especially that's earlier in the season. Earlier in the season, yeah. Yeah, I mean, rut's a different thing, but that's a different ball game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you got to be close. So I'd probably set up on that buck within 150 yards, I'm guessing. And I, I still saw him when he left his bed. Yeah. But uh, he didn't leave until 20 minutes before, before it got pitch dark, and then... You know, he went and chased some doe and made a scrape and rub. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say I, I'm just looking to be within 150 yards of him 
so when he gets up and and hangs out in his maybe a, maybe fifty yard area around his bed in the daylight, if that's what he does, uh, you might get a chance at seeing him or or getting a shot off if he comes your way. Yeah. So. Huh. Yeah, that's that's such an interesting way of looking at, I guess, whitetail hunting. And I mean, again, there's the big woods is a whole different story to begin with. And then you throw in hunting, you know, buck bedding and or hunting bedding, I guess. That's just a whole nother aspect that's, you know, it takes a lot of time and preparation yeah. out of the season, out of having a bow in your hand to get to that point. You know, it's, it takes a lot of scouting time mm-hmm. a lot like <laughs> so my, my scouting time has went up substantially and the since we've decided to hunt this way mm-hmm. you know in like march april yeah we put in a lot of time in, in the springtime yeah just finding those those really consistent betting points or, or betting areas or sometimes we think we find a buck bed and uh that's when we like to find our beds is in the spring. Yeah. A lot of the, you know, they got their winter coat shed and you can see a lot of hair in the ground on the, in their beds. And mm-hmm. it's a good time. We pay you the signs. Like, yeah. Pretty visible. Yeah. Yeah. The rubs from last year, last fall are popping yeah. real good. And, and, uh, we actually pick a lot of trees at that time too. Mm-hmm. And how to hunt those bedding. Yeah. Kind of like pick a tree and come back in the, in the fall, you know, which, sometimes can bite you like it's kind of bit me a little bit this year like staying out of places completely just because like you know last year they were bedding there because there was a ton of acorns this year there just happens to be no acorns on the spot so the bedding isn't as consistent Mm -hmm. but i guess you get what i'm saying like you just stay out of those bedding areas until you hunt them okay and um, as far as like in the springtime when you're going in, like I, I know that's my favorite time to scout or right after the season. But either yeah. way, when you the sign's visible, you're going through. The, the one thing I've been really trying to focus on because I didn't do it before was exactly what you said and is picking a tree. I'd go and find a sign, find everything I needed. They come back and I'm like, I have no idea how I'd set up on that. Yeah, we used to do that. <laughs> you know? I and still do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still do it. I, I, I make the mistake all the time. Like, man, I should have picked a tree. Right? And then uh, just, you were near in there. The sign's good. You found the beds. You find the rubs. And it's like, oh, I'll come back. And then you don't come back. And you wish you would have picked a yeah, tree. Yeah, and then to, you're trying to go uh, in in the dark. And you're like, well, no, I can't do this because yeah. I don't have a tree to pick. That, that was one thing I... I started doing specifically this year. So I, I always use the GPS to do it. Now I just use my phone with Onyx on there. And, and I was going in and, and so I plug a waypoint of, say, the sign I find and then where I want to sit. But since you can't, your waypoint's only accurate within, you know, 40 feet or so, I put a description in there what the tree looks like, what kind of stand I can get in there, and about how high I need to be going up, how many sticks. You try to. It's as much idea. detail as I can because otherwise I walk out of there and by three days later, I don't remember anything that yeah. I just thought about. And, yep. and I'm sure other people are the same as me with that. So that's, that's a big thing with scouting, I think, is really, you know, paying attention to those details and, and planning that out. But that's, 
that's definitely big. So with, with the rut coming up, I mean, right now we're October 27th coming in on the 28th here pretty soon with <laughs> it's getting late. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> as far as that time frame, are you guys still doing the same tactics as you were in early October? What, what are you going to be doing for the most for the part? Rut? I would yeah. say, yeah, for the most yeah, part. I hunt the same pretty much. I might transition a little bit into hunting in between doe beddings yeah. rather than right on doe bedding or buck bedding, whatever I think it is. Yeah. So I might transition into, into November, might transition in between hunting like ditches in between bedding points, like two bedding points. Okay. So I'm just trying to catch buck. Kind of like in a saddle in the hills? That well, over. not even so much a saddle. Um. <clears throat> Like one of my favorite thing in the rut and it's his too is like <clears throat> where you have a point, let's say the wind's blowing out of the north, you have a point here and a point here, and there's a like a drainage ditch in between the two. Like in those hours of nine to two, all day long, you're probably gonna have bucks bouncing back and forth and they're gonna f- naturally funnel right past you because of that ditch. So they go get, up towards the top of it. You're saying yeah. of the ditch. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. So, so good. One good thing about those little like little knobs on the ridges, they provide a little like a little bit of an outcropping off the ridge that provides a little little. Um, I think it's a couple things. One, it, it might provide a little bit of a. They might be able to shift within that little knob to to for the wind direction, and it gets them a little bit more uh, away from the ridge and it gets them a little bit better view. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that, Kelly? Yeah. So those little knobs on the ridges that kind of just just little contour features that jut out on on ridges, they like to bet on those little humps. But in between those humps, sometimes can be a, a, a ditch that makes those kind of humps because of the terrain, like a little drainage that drops down, and it's real steep. So the deer don't like to cross those drainages because they're steep, so they kind of go above them. So you kind of have a couple things going for you. You have you have these little bedding knobs or there's consistent doe bedding and then you have this drainage that kind of funnels deer to so you know where they're going to go in between those two bedding so those those little ditches can be can be awesome that's actually how i killed my buck last year was at the top of one of those ditches and he didn't use it like like you know typical like he just skirting the ridge and went above the ditch he came from across the ridge but he he happened to go right by that ditch but it worked out pretty good but uh that's how i killed mine too yeah you killed your buck that way last year too yep that was that was similar to to how i killed my one in ohio last year it was like that except for i had a coal mine on one side and then a big ditch on the other and then the two points that went out and i had when i had scouted it in the spring I'd found a buck bed out on the one point with some real big rubs coming off it. And this is my first day in. So I was kind of like slow playing, kind of getting into there. And at this point it was November 10th. So I was trying to kind of stay in between those different, as far as where the, the does were bedding and where I knew he was out in the point at this time, I wasn't thinking as far as how you guys are talking with the does bed and ahead of it. But in, in my head at that point, I thought, buck was here and i found a whole bunch of beds on the other point and i'm like oh maybe the does are bedding there again this is just what was in my head and this kind of like a little bit of a saddle ridge that was in between there with these steep ditches just created that funnel and what i've found in some of that is those bucks aren't traveling the top of it they don't want to skyline themselves so they'll stay down just over that edge on not the 
you know, the, on the top, you'll see those really heavily worn trails and seems like that's when I saw from the stand that day were does and spikes running, you know, that top, but the, the bigger deer seem to just go over the edge on the less worn trails that are yeah, right I, above, I the, saw that above the year. ditch, you know? And, and again, that was my experience with it, but I, I ended up killing my buck there. I mean, he wasn't a super old mature deer or anything, but he, it was a buck and that's the way that he was using it, you know? And it kind of just, it was cool to see that play into, you know, I was in there scouting in the spring, find these things and, you know, employ it, I guess, when it came to time to hunt it. But, and that just reminded me of that story based off of kind of your description there, what you're doing during the rut versus the rest of the time of year when you're, when you're hunting buck bedding. So that's, that's cool. And, uh, so w- with that, are you guys going to be hunting here coming up in next week or two? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We'll be out there. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. I got a PA in New York state tag and I'll be transitioning to Ohio. Uh, probably after pa goes out so three states in two weeks three yeah, weeks so. three weeks probably yeah. yeah i'll hunt Ohio. i love hunting that end of november like late november yeah you know later the later part of the teens of november Thanks into the 20th yeah. yeah that's a good time to hunt yeah I, yeah i love it two uh, two years ago in ohio i shot mine on november 23rd out there i love those i think that's right when i shot my buck last couple yeah, uh, my couple ohio bucks i think it was in the 20s teens and 20s it was the day before thanksgiving i knew that that uh was that deer specifically but i that's what we normally do is go to ohio right when our season closes because yeah. pennsylvania that our season closes somewhere between the 11th and 14th yeah. every year which is like come on yeah like <laughs> give me a really give me five like you don't days. give us sundays and now you're gonna give us yeah you know, yeah you, you're gonna end the season earlier yeah so it's it's tough but yeah that's uh is there anything else on like the the buck betting you think that would be specific or anything you learned um maybe from a wind standpoint i guess that's a whole nother avenue but <laughs> yeah wind's yeah. A, a learning process especially in, itself. in the hills it's hill country of for one, your windows, like you picture water going over. I always picture it like trying to picture like water in a creek, what water does in a creek when it goes over rocks or when it goes, you know, because I do some whitewater kayaking. So you kind of have these little eddy lines and you have these, you know, little waves that form and stuff like that. Like the air does the same thing over mountains. Like, say so you got a, you know, you got a wind coming up over a mountain ridge and it doesn't just drop down the other side and go down. It sits there and swirls at the top of that ridge, just like water would do. And, uh, and then sometimes when the wind dies down and it gets late at night, you get these thermals that change or in the morning you get this, the sun comes up and you get these thermals that rise up the mountains. So sometimes you got to play with that in relation to where the deer, where you're hunting the deer and try to think, okay, what time am I going to see the deer? And what's the wind going to be doing when the time of the deer are going to be coming by my stand? Mm-hmm. So that's whole that's a, the whole learning curve in itself. And yeah. and you know we picked up the whole use milkweed as your wind indicator rather than like some people use the you know powder or whatever it is that yeah. squirt it in the air. Well, that only tells you what the wind's doing three feet from your body. What it does from there is, I mean, I 
Oh, sometimes. Oh my gosh. I I mean, I've sat where like you watch the wind tunnel, drop your milkweed, goes out in front of you, drops to the ground, goes all the way back up 30, 40 yards behind you. Yeah. You know? Wow. If you just sprayed your bottle, you'd think it's just... I'd say 99% of the time, the milkweed goes out away from your body three feet and then does something completely different from there. So that, that wind checker... The powder only tells you, I mean, it's not giving you. So when I'm using my wind checker and I'm like, how did that buck smell me? I mean, the wind was perfect. Yeah. It may not be. Probably was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that milkweed, if you get some real, get the milkweed, pick it off the pod and dry it out and use that, that one little piece and pick it out of that pod and let it go after it's dry. I mean, that thing pretty much will tell you what the wind's doing within 80 yards of you yeah it'll float so yeah. do you can you buy milkweed anywhere or are you actually uh, i don't think it so yourself? yeah we just pick it you just yeah. pick it yourself yeah. okay seems to grow along the roads yeah. a lot yeah yeah for yeah. some reason but yeah it works pretty good yeah i mean one thing too like uh you should probably touch on is like the whole wind tunnel thing yeah it's i know we didn't really touch on that about where bucks bed but they're bedding right in the wind tunnel itself because they can they pretty much can smell all around them below them and above them Mm -hmm. like what happens when the wind comes over the top of the hill is i mean this is going to be hard to to speak about without you seeing what i'm doing with my hands but (laughs) yeah (laughs) you could youtube wind tunnel or something and you'd find i mean there's like visuals on there dan have any videos yeah dan does have the hunting beast does but um, you know, the wind comes over the top of the hill and it's almost like it, it, it catches like an eddy line. Like you said, you know, there's like, there's like resistance and then there's no resistance and it almost like tumbles. Mm-hmm. You know? Almost like front flips. Yeah. And then comes back up in like eddies right there. It does a big swirl. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it also plays wind speed. Yeah. I mean, this it's, yeah. it's scientific. Yeah, yeah there's, this is something that's going to be more than what we're yeah. going to see here. Yeah, I mean, this, it's but, and it's something I mean, like if you we're have, learning. Yeah, it's going to take. If a you lot. have like, say, you're set up on a real steep drop on a ridge, and you have these real light variable winds, like sometimes your winds will drop straight down, and sometimes they'll be going up, like back up to the top of the ridge. Like this is what happens in light winds because it's just not consistent. So, but if you get like a strong 15 mile an hour, consistent 15 mile an hour wind, you're pretty much, your wind's pretty much going to do the same thing. It's going to have a strong, it's going to have a strong wind tunnel mm-hmm. and you can almost play that wind tunnel, you know, somewhere, somewhere on that ridge. But, uh, that light wind kind of varies and does all sorts of things. But he- I've hunted buck where it's like 15 mile an hour wind, 10 to 15 mile an hour wind. And I've actually like, say your wind direction's blowing from the North and the deer are coming blow you on this to the south like so the deer should be winding you but because of that wind tunnel i knew i had a 15 mile an hour wind where the wind is swirling and pushing back up to the top of the mountain i played him high even though the the prevailing wind should have been blowing to him i played him high because of the wind tunnel and i've had him skirt by and not smell me so it just wind speed and the where you're at on in the elevation and and how high, how far down you are from the top of the ridge at all plays. It's just something you got to go out and experience. Like, yeah, go out and throw your, throw some milkweed out there. Mess it up a few times. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, More than a few times. Yeah. Most times. Yeah. (laughs)
Yeah, that's that's cool. Well, is what else? Uh, is there anything else from a whitetail standpoint you want to cover? Or um, I'm, I know we could talk all night yeah, on this topic, could. but I think I think right now we got good enough into that kind of how you guys are diving into the buck bedding and how that applies to mountain hunting, which the only person I've ever heard talk about that is Dan. Mm-hmm. And, and I, like I said, you guys said you learned a lot from him and then are just applying it to your own, yeah, you know, exactly. home ranges, I guess, and, yep. and seeing what happens. And I think that applies to every, everybody, no matter where you're at, you can take, you know, techniques from guys like Dan and kind of apply it to your own thing, but it's, all experiencing yeah. you know it's all in what you are seeing and trying to learn from it and not i guess nothing's cookie cutter you can't just take i can't take what you're saying james and apply it 110 percent to my situation and it work mm-hmm. or the same thing yep. with you kelly you know it's it's trying to take the concepts of it and things that are scientific like the wind and and how thermals work and the wind tunnels and see what happens i guess yes, you absolutely. know so Hopefully in the next couple of weeks here, I'm going to drop this podcast here on Monday and then, or this one will probably come out Wednesday, but Monday, Wednesday, I'm going to release the two right in a row there. And hopefully maybe even by then one of us or a couple nice. of us have bucks on the ground and that would be nice. What do you think? Sure. Hope I'm so. ready to throw October out the window and hit November. Yeah. I'm <laughs> in the same boat as you, man. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on again, and Kelly, for you having me over your house yep, and everything. Yep. So no problem. It's uh, good to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having us on, Bo. Yeah, it's getting late here. Hopefully, I don't have to see you guys again. But uh, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> All right, guys. Good luck the rest of the season. You too, Spin. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.